last few weeks, we've been going through some questions that my friend shared with me when I asked him about questions that people who aren't Christians, people who aren't believers have when it comes to faith and Christianity. And as we were having this discussion, he asked me another question that kind of made me laugh when he first asked it, um, which is, how do you deal with the kinds of people who go to flat earth conventions? And essentially what this question is asking is, what do you do with people who are delusional? How, how do you handle delusional people, people that you can't really seem to reason with? They believe something that's just totally wrong, totally silly, and yet they wholeheartedly believe it, and they aren't good at listening to reason. And you know, what, what do you do with someone who is like that? How do you, how do you handle those delusional people? And, uh, and so I do want to address that on how do we go about bringing these people to the truth of Christ. And, and we don't just give up on them. We don't just say, well, they're a lost cause and, and shoot them all into outer space without helmets on. But we actually still want to look at them through the eyes of God. We still want to love them. And we do want to bring them to that knowledge of the good news of Christ. So the question is, is how do we do that? And so first, yeah, we do need to begin with the attitude that we have towards them. And, and remember that people grow, people change. And in order for people to grow, they have to learn new things. It's how we go through our life, how anyone goes through life, is that they experience things or learn new information and through those experiences and that new information that they've received, it allows people to grow. And it's the same for us as well, that as we learn new things, we grow as well. And so it's important to remember that just because somebody is wrong about something or believes something that isn't true doesn't mean that they're always going to believe that or that they're always going to be wrong, that they'll never see the light. And so we have to leave that room to allow people to grow and to change, especially because we've been there before too. We have had things that we've believed that was wrong. We have made mistakes. I've shared before about, well, I'm pretty sure I've shared before, how when I was a kid, and I used to ride along and my parents were driving and I'd be riding in the back seat that I used to think that when they turned on the turn signal, I didn't know that they were the ones turning it on. So I thought that the car was telling my parents which way to turn. Now, as I grew older, I realized that wasn't true, but there is still a point in my life where I believed that there was something that I believed that wasn't true. And so all of us have experienced things like that where we thought something that was incorrect, that we were misled, that maybe we made a mis uh, an assumption that wasn't accurate. And in fact, Scripture shows us that all of us have been like that. In Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, it says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. 
So this passage highlights how we have all been in a place of darkness in our life before, that we've all done things that were not good things to do. We've thought things that weren't true. We've been foolish. We've been disobedient. We've been deceived. And we've been enslaved by our own passions. We've had all of these things that we've gone through that were not the highlights of our life. Mistakes that we have made. And yet, because of the kindness that and love that God showed us, he brought us out of that because he had mercy on us. And so we didn't stay in those places. We grew out of that as Jesus came along and we experienced the actual truth in our life. We received new knowledge, new understanding of who God is and what he has done. And so it is those experiences that each and every believer has gone through that has helped them to understand the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ that has brought them from that place of being deceived and being foolish to a new place of seeing the light and and understanding what is true. And so we see that everyone at a certain point of their life have made mistakes, have been mistaken, and that there needs to be some kind of teaching to come along to allow a correction to be made to incorrect assumptions. And so if that teaching is then required for those corrections to be made, those that teaching needs to come from somewhere. It needs to come from someone most of the time, somebody that is teaching. Sometimes it's just the experiences that we go through in life, and those experiences themselves provide the lesson for us. But oftentimes, and, and certainly what would be the better case scenario, is to have someone come along and teach us the mistake in our thinking before we have to go and, and encounter failure after failure ourselves. And so instead of just stumbling around in the darkness, that we actually have somebody come and turn the light switch on for us. So if there are people who are not believers, and maybe people that believe all kinds of crazy ideas... Rather than making fun of those people or saying that they're a lost cause, we have to understand that they can change, they can grow, and someone needs to go and provide them that teaching. And rather than putting that off on someone else, we have to realize that we are here on that earth for that very purpose. In Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 14, it says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So here in Romans, we have this excellent line of questioning of how are they going to know unless someone tells them? How is somebody going to tell them unless they go to them? How to go to where they are at? How else are they going to learn? And so if we kind of place this dividing line between us and them and say, well, they're mistaken, and how can they believe these things? How can they be mistaken? How can they be walking around in darkness? Well, who are we to criticize them and complain about them if we are not taking any steps to bring truth to those who are lost.
And so each and every one of us who have received that teaching, who do know who Christ is and have an understanding of what he has done for all the world, all of us are called to share that truth with people who are being misled into following lies. If those lies are never pointed out and corrected, how can we expect there to be any change? And so we're called to bring that teaching to others. But not everyone is as willing to accept new teaching as other people are. Some people are really bad at listening. Some people are so sure that they're right, that they don't want to hear any other opinion. So the question then is, well, how do we reach those people? How do we reach someone who is not open to new teaching? How do we reach someone who is closed-minded? And in order for us to begin to understand how to do that, we have to understand how to use the tool of asking questions. Because Questions are an incredibly powerful tool that we can use to bring people to new understanding. And it was something that Jesus did very, very often in his ministry. If we look through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books of the Bible that record Jesus's time on earth, if we look at that and go through each of them, Without any repeats, we can see that Jesus answered 61 questions that people asked him. And in addition to those 61 questions that people asked him and he answered, there was also 52 additional questions that Jesus himself asked and then provided the answer to them. So just within the four books of the Bible that make up the Gospels, we see Jesus answering 113 questions in order to bring people to the truth of who he is and who God is, and that he is God, and that this is the kingdom that God is bringing to earth. 113 questions just within that short span of Jesus' ministry. See, Jesus understood the power of using questions to bring people through a line of reasoning so that rather than bringing the teaching from the outside and saying, this is what you need to believe, that instead Jesus is asking these questions to get them thinking about what they believe and why they believe it and bring them to places even where they didn't have an answer. And then once Jesus brought them there to a question they didn't have an answer for, then he would provide the answer. And then they would be more willing to accept that answer because rather than Jesus' answer replacing an answer they already had, that Jesus would bring them with his questions to a place where they didn't have an answer and he would then provide the answer for them. And the easiest time would be when people would come to Jesus with the question already. Hey, here's something I don't know. Please answer this for me. 
But then we see that Jesus also used his own questions to bring people to that point as well, and that is where he would begin to teach them. By answering questions, they didn't have an answer to. And if we can bring people to that point, they are so much more willing to accept the teachings that we have to give. But if we try to kind of shove our teaching into a place where they already have a belief, we're going to meet that resistance because they're not going to want to let go of what they're already holding on to to grab something completely foreign to them. If you think about somebody rappelling down a cliffside and they've got their rope that they're holding on to, and that's the only thing keeping them from falling down that steep slope to their death, if they're holding on to that rope that they have, if we come along and throw them another rope and say, hey, I want you to let go of the rope that you're holding on to right now and grab this new rope, why would they want to do that? The rope that they're holding on to is already working so well. Why take the risk of letting go of that rope that's keeping them safe now to grab onto something else that they haven't tried before, they haven't experienced, it's new, they don't know if they can trust it. And that's when we have to take them to a deeper level. To say, okay, well, what do you think about this? What do you believe about this? Tell me what you believe. Explain this to me. Explain to me what you believe. And as we bring them deeper and deeper into what they believe, when they're holding on to a belief that isn't true, and we know it, as we continue to bring them deeper down that train of thought, down that rope that they're holding on to, eventually they'll get, that, get to that point where they don't have any more rope. They've reached the end of their rope, and there's still an abyss beneath them that they don't have any rope to hold on to going into that territory. And if they are there, holding on to the end of their rope, and then we throw our rope down, that extends longer and deeper, it answers more questions than their belief can. Then they will be more inclined to grab onto that next rope because they've gone as far as this rope will take them. And they realize that it didn't get them all the way to the bottom of the issue. And they need more answers. And so when we use questions to bring people to that point, to a point where they don't have an answer, and then we show how the truth of God and Scripture provides the answer to that question, then we are making the truth helpful to them rather than threatening to them. That we aren't just trying to cut off the rope that they're holding on to to leave them free-falling into the pit below. But we've shown them how far their rope can take them by allowing them to talk through it with us, by asking them questions. 
and bring them to a place where they're either going to be stuck there or they can grab this new truth with answers to questions that they don't have the answer to. Rather than threatening to cut off their rope, we're helping them to go even deeper than they've gone before and provide them with a greater understanding than what they currently have. And it's by utilizing those questions that we can bring people to that point. And so then, once we've done that, once we've brought people to the truth of who God is and what Scripture teaches, and they've accepted that, and we remember how questions brought us to that understanding of truth, we want to make sure that we don't then cut off any line of questioning. Especially to say that, well, now you need to just have faith because I don't want to answer any more questions. It was questions that brought them there. And so what we then want to do, especially within our churches and within our conversations with other believers, we want to make sure that asking questions is still encouraged, not just allowed, but encouraged. Because remember, it's those questions that bring people to deeper understandings of who God is. And rather than saying, well, you can't ask those questions, just don't think about it. And to somehow glorify that as, as being greater people of faith is entirely incorrect and, and counterproductive to what we are trying to do of bringing people closer to Christ and bringing, to, bringing them to a greater understanding of who God is and his will for their life. And so those questions need to continue to be encouraged. Let's ask these questions. Let's talk about it. Let's look at what scripture has to say. Right? That's when it becomes a Bible study. Let's look at what the Bible says and what answers it provides to the questions that we have. Because when we stop allowing that and begin to try to cover up the rest of what we believe and the lives that we have, as we begin to extinguish anyone's questions, what that then allows to take place is for us to delude ourselves. If we can bring people to a place where we don't have to answer their questions, we don't even have to talk about their questions or acknowledge them, we can just shut those questions down, then we know that nothing we believe or nothing we do will ever be questioned. And that allows us to speak one thing and do another. And we begin leading a double life. And we say all the right things. We know the answers that we're supposed to say. And for any question we don't have the answer to, we can just shrug it aside. But we'll say the right things and then do what we want to do. Well, what we are doing shows what we actually believe. Not what we say, 
what we do shows what we actually believe. And so if we can cover up what we do and cover up what we actually believe by not allowing people to ask questions, then we can bring ourselves to a point where we ourselves are living in delusion, where we cannot provide any answers. We'll just say whatever justifies what we want to do. And that takes us out of the light and back into that stumbling around in the darkness. And scripture is very clear that that is not what God's plan for our life is. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 8, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. In this passage, we see a very close connection between darkness and secrecy and evil. And we see that Christ is calling us out of that life of hidden things and into a life of understanding the Lord's will for our life. And that that illumination, that living in the light where everything is visible, is where we find goodness and righteousness and truth. And that's what God's will for our life is. Not darkness, not secrecy, that's where evil dwells. That's the mentality that says, you can't ask those questions. Just do what I tell you to do, and be the way I tell you to be, without understanding why. That is not what God's will for our life looks like. God is saying, live a life that is in the light where everything is exposed and illuminated, and that when those things become illuminated, that they then become a light for other people, that as our life is joined with light, it's encompassed in the light, that as others are are stumbling through the darkness, that they can see that light, and our light will bring them to the truth. Our light will show them something that stands out from the darkness. Don't cover things up. Don't keep things secret. Don't whisper in hushed voices so that nobody else hears. Live like children of light. 
having nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, even the darkness that once dwelled in your own heart, or that you continue to wrestle with. Allow your life to be in the light, to be illuminated, to be visible. That's the kind of life that we should strive for. A life that is transparent. A life with nothing hidden so that we can't end up in a place where we are deluding ourselves. By keeping ourselves from asking questions and answering questions. And so, as we've been talking about bringing the truth to those who are lost and mistaken that we bring them that teaching and doing so through the questions that we ask them and providing the answers to those questions, that we also want to allow our life to be one where people are finding answers instead of more questions, where things are being exposed rather than covered up. And so I want to leave you with this question. Do you allow questions to be asked between you and others. So rather than turning a blind eye when you see someone who believes something false, or complaining that, oh, these stupid people, do you push yourself to ask them questions about what they believe and why they believe it? To bring them to a point where you can then introduce God's truth to them? And do you also allow people to ask questions of you about what you believe and why you believe it? Scripture talks about always being prepared with an answer, being ready in season and out of season. Can you give the answer for your faith? Can you say why you believe what you believe? And can you even say what it is that you believe? Can you articulate it? Can you defend it? Do you allow people to ask questions about what you believe and why you believe it and how you live it out? How is it reflected in your life? Is your life transparent? Is it exposed? Is it visible? Or do you keep things covered up? Because if you're trying to cover things up, if you're trying to keep things hidden, then you yourself are delusional. You are deluding yourself. Do you allow questions to be asked between you and others? Do you ask others questions? And do you allow others to ask you questions? That's what's necessary in order to deal with delusions. And that's today's Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any questions for me, I'd love to hear them. I'd love to hear from you. You can either reach me through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can email me at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com to ask me your questions or any comments that you have for me as well. And I encourage you to share this message and other of my messages with other people in order to provide answers to the questions that people have. But until next time, 
I pray that God blesses you as you go throughout your day. I pray that you will find favor in his eyes. And I thank you for taking the time to listen.